You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome. Welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock. Happy Tuesday uh, to you and yours. Happy day after Monday. Happy day before hump day. It's Tuesday and I'm glad to be here. Awesome, awesome show uh, planned for you today. Uh, Mike Lombardi, uh, former Patriots executive. Uh, you've seen him on Fox Sports. You've seen him on it. Anywhere He's one of the authorities on the National Football League. Uh, he's going to join us, and we'll talk a little uh, Calvin Ridley, uh, suspended for the year for gambling. We'll talk about why that's so important uh, for the NFL. Aaron Rodgers has you know, agreed to a huge contract extension with the Green Bay Packers. We'll ask Lombardi his take on that. And Mike last week had some very strong things to say uh, in response to Kyler Murray's, what Mike called a ransom letter that he issued toward the Arizona Cardinals. He and his agent, I believe, Eric Burkhart. We'll talk about those three topics with Mike Lombardi, one of the authorities on the NFL. Uh, Delano Squires has written another terrific column about, I think he called it toxic mother syndrome. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! Can't wait to uh, get into that and his take on that. We'll do that with Delano Squires. Uh, Shamika Michelle, uh, she's got another question she wants to ask Uncle Jimmy. Uh, and this time, uh, I can't wait for this conversation uh, with Shamika. She's got some video where I think Jamel Hill complained about that you know, black men are having all these platforms talking bad about black women, and she's saying black women aren't doing that to black men, and, and Shamika wants to ask Uncle Jimmy and get his take on it. That conversation might end up being our best conversation of the day, and then we'll have an approval rating on the guy I'm gonna start the show with, uh, Russell Westbrook, I mean, I'm sorry, Russell Westbrook, uh, the Los Angeles Lakers point guard who is struggling, and uh, I'm going to talk about that with Steve Kim, but first let me uh, set the table and get the fire going, and then we'll have Steve Kim come in, the Korean Cosell, and help me fan the flames. Uh, Westbrook's uh, wife, I guess, kind of started this, uh, I think yesterday, or the day before she got into a little back and forth with uh, Skip Bayless, but yesterday she took things to a new level uh, firing off a tweet or a post on Instagram uh, saying that when I'm being harassed on a daily basis over basketball games and I'm having obscenities and death wishes for me and my family sent my way because you're expressing your truth, it's hard for me to get on board with that. Uh, she either tweeted or posted that uh, yesterday and it's obviously the key word in here is death wishes. Someone 
according to her, uh, they're having obscenities and death wishes. Imagine that over social media, obscenity and death wishes. Vitriol on social media, unbelievable. I mean, that never happens. Vitriol? People cursing on social, oh my God. Thoughts and prayers with the Westbrook family. Uh, they're the only people on the planet experiencing vitriol over social media. And so I, I, let, let's just take a moment and, and of prayer and thoughts and send positive energy uh, to the Westbrook family. Uh, it, it, I just couldn't imagine obscenity and death wishes uh, over social media. I, oh, I hope they get through it. Godspeed to uh, Westbrook and his family. So Russell Westbrook last night after the Lakers playing without uh, LeBron James, uh, he gets, they get beat by the San Antonio Spurs. Uh, Westbrook had another uh, poor game and he wanted to uh, back his wife's tweets up uh, by adding words and thoughts um, and complaints and whining. And he wanted to justify his wife's complaints and whinings. And so here's what Russell Westbrook had to say after last night's loss to the Spurs. Uh, I 100% stand behind my wife and how she's feeling because um, it's not just about this year. Um, right now, she's reached a point um, and my family has reached a point to where it's really weighing on them. Um, and it's very unfortunate um, just for me personally because um, this is just a game. This is just a game. This is not end-all, be-all. And um, when it comes to basketball, I don't mind the criticism of missing and making shots. But the moment it becomes where you sh you you know, my name is getting shamed. Um, it becomes a, a, a issue. Um, I've kind of let it go in the past, you know, just because it never really bothered me. But um, it really kind of hit me the other day. Honestly, I was uh, me and my wife was at um teacher parent conference for my son. Um, and the teacher told me, she's like, uh, Noah, he's so proud of his last name. He writes it everywhere. He writes it on everything he he tells everybody walks around and says i'm westbrook westbrook that's his last name and it kind of i kind of sat there in shock and it hit me like damn like i can no longer allow people um you know for example west brick to me is now shaming like it's shaming my name it's uh, my legacy for my kids um it's a name that's means more not just to me but to my wife to my mom my dad uh, the ones um, that kind of paved the way for me. And, and that's just one example. I mean, that kind of hit myself and my wife in a, in a place where um, it's not great, man. And, and, you know, I think a lot of the, a lot of times, you know, I let it slide, but it's now time to put a stop to, to that and put it on notice. Like there's a difference and I, it, we need to make sure that it's understood. And every time I do hear it now, I will make sure that I address it and uh, make sure that I nip that in the butt. That, what we just listened to, and what he did last night, is one of the most selfish, narcissistic, cowardly acts we will ever see from a professional athlete. 
And so I need you all to mark what I just said. And, and I'm taught Chris, Justin, whoever's listening, mark what I just said. It'll end with me saying it's one of the most cowardly acts we've ever seen from a professional athlete. Play the entire clip of Restbook's comments and then me saying it's one of the most cowardly acts I've ever seen from a professional athlete. And then pick it up again as I continue and explain why it's one of the most cowardly acts I've ever seen. This man just used his children as a shield. I'm playing terribly. I'm making $44 million. The Lakers are eight games under 500. I'm getting blamed and I'm going to use my wife and children as a shield to stop the criticism. Westbrick is shaming his name. Fans chanting Westbrick is, is an assault on his children. Professional sports, college sports, high school sports have been going on for more than a hundred years. And fans have been coming up with clever nicknames for athletes that they love and athletes that they despise, athletes who are playing great, athletes who are playing poor. This has been the tradition for more than a hundred years. No one's calling him West P-U-S-S-Y, West U-M-F, West U, West Brick. It's a clever way of saying you can't shoot. And this man just stood before Lakers fans, Spurs fans, sports fans everywhere and said, if you call me Westbrook, I'm going to confront you. And he just stood before the media and put himself on a cross. Oh my God, my wife and kids. They're having to go through people making fun of me because I can't shoot. People ask me, man, why are you so hard on a handful of these athletes? Because the depth of their cowardice, their lack of foundational beliefs and values that I respect are non-existent. When you have a worldview defined by values, morality, integrity, a set of beliefs, a philosophy, and not a worldview based on skin color or sexual preference or gender identity. You, you, you're left with no choice. This man just used his kids as a heat shield. Stop criticizing me, it's hurting my kids. We've never seen this, at least I haven't, 
Maybe it's been done before. Someone bring me the proof. We're an athlete. We're a grown man. Let alone a grown man making $44 million for playing a game would drag his kids into, oh, they're criticizing me because I can't shoot and I don't know how to be a winning player. That's what this is all about. Russell Westbrook has never been about winning basketball games. He's been about padding stats. He's been a gimmick. And his character, the way he presents himself, the energy that he puts into the air is hostile and negative. And we've seen signs of it time after time after time. This is the equipment. I'm a critic. That's the energy I put into the air that I will criticize. I can't then, oh, social media people are criticizing me. It's unfair. That's the energy I put into the air. And so I get it back. And I have to deal with that. That's the price of admission. Russell Westbrook has been going at it and putting negative energy into the air with fans and sports writers his entire career. Let, let, let's look at a few of the highlights of Westbrook in, in Utah threatening a man and his wife who he says disrespected him. Play the clip. I will F you up, you and your wife. And, and, and I know I can hear, well, they said something to him. He's making $44 million a year. What's the fan, the idiot fan, making, saying? I, I, I don't know. But you put that energy into the air. I will confront fans. I will threaten them. I will F you up, you and your wife. The man should have been suspended on the spot for that if the NBA had a pair. But they don't. This man is a bully. Let's play the clip of him walking off the court. And a, it looks to me like a kid, but I'm 54 and my eyesight may not be the greatest but it looks like a kid to me is trying to use his cell phone to take a picture of him and look at Westbrook's reaction. It wasn't meant to be for Russell Westbrook. On his way out, confronting a fan. Someone has a cell phone is trying to take a picture of him in an arena as he walks off the court. 
This goes on. This has been commonplace the last 10 years in professional sports. Why is it Westbrook that is swatting at, look to me like a child, could have been, a, maybe it's a young 20-year-old. I don't know. I don't care who it is. The man emotes negative, hostile energy towards fans and sports writers. Barry Trammell of the Daily Oklahoman. I've known Barry Trammell for damn near 30 years. Barry Trammell is one of the nicest people you'll ever meet. He don't want no trouble with nobody. Westbrook went to war with this man when he played in Oklahoma, uh, talked abusively to him, tried to ignore him. All The guy's asking respectful questions. Play the clips. Uh, Both of them back to back. Successful. Mm, did a good job execution. You yeah. reflect the first the first stretch. Nick was talking about the 15-2 run. We went with a, you know, a small lineup with five really good offensive players on the court. What does it What does it do for your offense when everybody out there is really accomplished as an offensive player? It's good. Rush, you had eight assists in the fourth quarter. What did you see from them defensively that allowed you to focus as much as you did on passing the rock? Oh, we did a good job executing. Now, are you upset with something? Mm-hmm. Should we be upset? I just don't like you. You don't? No. Do you not like Nick either? I love Nick, but I don't like you. Well, you gave us about the same answers. Yeah, you got another question? Even second time in three games, uh, you guys really struggled when Russell went to the bench. You were out there for part of that. What goes on when he goes to the bench? Why is Houston so successful? And, and do you sense that, that they sort of get an energy boost just from him going out of the game? Hold on, Steven. <clears throat> I don't want nobody to try to split us up. We all one team. Regardless, if I go to the bench, if Steven's on the floor, if I'm off the floor, we in this together. Don't split us up. Don't try to split us up. Don't try to make us go against each other. Try to make it against Russell and the rest of the guys. Russell against Houston. I don't. I don't want to hear that. We in this together. We playing as a team, and that's all that matters. That's it. Yeah, Russell. I'm not trying to split you up, but twice in three games, you guys have not played well at all. When you've gone to the bench, that's fine. We, say, and I'm just say, trying to figure out what's going say, on. Say Russell, you ain't played well at all. Say Russell and the team is, haven't played well. Don't say when Russell goes out, the team don't play well. It don't matter. We in this together. That may that may be Russell, but I asked Stephen a question, Come and on, it's a legitimate. Me and you. Next question. It's a legitimate question. Next question. Next question. Next question. Next question. No, I think we won't keep the microphone. I had a question for Steve. I had a question for Stephen, and it wasn't answered. And I don't understand if Stephen wants to say he still hasn't said anything. If he wants to say I don't want to answer that, fine. But next question, please. A grown man, Barry Trammell, who I've known a long time asking legitimate questions to Steven Adams. Russell Westbrook bullies him. In the previous clip, I don't like you. The man emotes negative energy, and he's wondering why he's getting it back. This Westbrook stuff is polite compared to the way Russell Westbrook 
has done people. I said it at the time, this is not revisionist history. The incidents he had with Utah fans where he accused them basically of being racist, I said it was exaggerated, I said he was lying. The guy is a steaming a-hole who treats people poorly and then gets upset and will play the race card on people when they give him a taste of his own medicine. This isn't a spoiled, entitled elite. And he's wondering why his wife is getting obscenity and what she's calling death wishes. He and his wife are making excuse. See, this choice of word, death wishes. And then I watched this morning on ESPN, uh, Stephen A. Smith and Molly Karam, they turned death wishes into death threats. And they just took all it takes from an elite, Nina Westbrook, who's married to Russell, so she's worth a couple of hundred million dollars, just like him. She puts out a tweet, a message saying, oh, I've got death wishes. And so Stephen A. Smith, an alleged journalist, oh, well, she said it, it must be true. And since she said death wishes, we're going to turn this into death threats. And we're going to talk, we're going to scold the fans. How dare someone over Twitter issue death threats to Russell Westbrook and his family? I'm just sorry. As a journalist, you don't take anybody's word for it. If they got some proof, offer it up. It can't just be, oh, it's Russell Westbrook's wife, some uh, millionaires, and since she said it, we must accept it as fact, and then we must exaggerate it. Because if all it takes, if death wishes, the people that have tweeted at me, man, I hope you die. I hope your arteries clog up. I hope you choke on that McDonald's. If that's a death threat, I get them on a daily basis. And this whole little exaggerated thing of all these public figures, from Mina Kimes to any other, oh, I get death threats. These ain't legitimate death threats, and everybody knows it. It's a little Twitter social media game, game to garner sympathy. Oh, I'm in over my head, and they got me in a job I'm not qualified for, Mina Kimes and Russell Westbrook. Russell Westbrook is not qualified to be a point guard on a, on a team seeking a championship. And so he's coming up with excuses and wants to play the victim. Oh, look what's happening to me. We got death wishes that we don't have to prove, and Stephen A. Smith and ESPN and everybody else will carry our water, and they'll get on TV and pretend like, oh, we're living in a bunker with armed security because one of these tweets may sneak in here and choke us out. This is what I'm talking about when I'm saying there's a hostility towards truth because everybody knows that these little tweet threats or wishes aren't scaring anybody. Russell Westbrook and his wife are upset 
because their $44 million man basketball player is getting back the energy that he puts out. And how dare these sports fans give me back the energy that I put out. Don't they know I'm Russell Westbrook? I'm an elite. I'm worth millions of dollars. I'm better than them. And then everybody on ESPN and in corporate sports media, because I didn't watch, and so I don't want to speculate, but I guarantee there's people over at Fox Sports carrying Westbrook's water. <laughs> it's just terrible. They're getting death wishes. It's just these fans are out of control and blah, 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 blah. This man has done the most cowardly thing I've seen from an athlete in my I'm 54, I've been a sports fan, I guarantee you since the age of five in 50 years. Jackie Robinson? That man received death threats. That man received a disrespectful, racist level of taunting and abuse from fans. Westbrook? That's a line in the sand now? I'm going to confront anybody that changes my name in any way and, and criticizes me for my poor shooting and my inability to, at any point in my career, be a championship caliber point guard or asset to a team. You run Kevin Durant out of town. He can't stand playing with you, and he goes to Golden State. Oh, but that ain't on Westbrook. He plays hard. He does triple doubles. Been with Houston, the Washington Wizards, and now the Lakers. He's been overvalued the entire time. And I told y'all on this show before, I got to give Colin Cowherd a lot of credit because he was ahead of the curve and saw this all and was calling it out years ago. I hope he's not backpedaling now, now that he's been proven a thousand percent right. It's a Westbrook problem. It's not a sports fan problem. It's, it's, it's not LeBron's fault. It's, it's Russell Westbrook is the problem. And this cowardly act, and the fact that people won't call it out for what it is, I'm going to bring my little kids into this and stop y'all from criticizing me. And if I confront one of y'all for calling me Westbrook or throw a punch at one of y'all, I'm really doing it to protect my kids. And we're going for this. Because the NBA has never, under Adam Silver, had the courage, the balls, the integrity to confront this man about his bullying boorish, inappropriate behavior towards fans. You don't want this kind of heat for your wife and kids? Don't act the way you act. Retire. If you ain't man enough for this and you gotta drag your kids into it. Uh, Steve Kim, you ready to go? Yeah. Let's go out to uh, Los <laughs> Angeles and bring in the Korean Cosell.
I, I'm Steve, and you, you got a more encyclopedic memory than I do about sports. I, I can't think of anything more cowardly than what Russell Westbrook did last night. Yeah, I, I'm hoping that his kid is made out of Kevlar because, like you said, they just he just put himself uh, right behind his kid as the bulletproof vest. And I was thinking about this. When was the last time a significant Laker player had a problem uh, that involved his wife? And it was Glenn Rice in 2000, where she had a problem, I think, with Phil Jackson. Glenn Rice in the triangle wasn't getting enough shots. And by the way, back then, our guy TJ Simers had a field day with it. But this goes to the point that we've made before. Uh, everyone on down the hierarchy has never checked Russell Westbrook. And part of this is the media actually lashing back a little bit and jousting with them instead of saying, oh, Russell, you're right. Uh, wait a minute. Our, our jobs are not to be the sympathizers. The see, you know, it was bad enough, Jason, when he was petulant, because that's very uncomfortable. It, it doesn't make for great copy. It makes it difficult for a journalist to do their jobs. And, and it's just not good to be around. But to be whining to that degree the way he was in that press conference last night, I thought was absolutely pathetic. You brought this on yourself. And, you know, look, if there were death wishes or death threats, whatever phraseology you want to use, uh, the family should just go out there and, and go to the authorities. There's NBA security. There's actual uh, law enforcement. You're not really allowed to make terroristic threats online. So handle it that way. I actually want to see some proof because Russell Westbrook right now, he has no credibility uh, with me as a player or person. This is, and, and I hate to do this because I want to keep the focus on Westbrook, <clears throat> but, but I got to make a point about all these athletes and, and just this elite status and where we're at as a culture uh, in, here in America. It's LeBron James set up three, four, five years ago and said, oh, they spray painted the N-word on my mansion on LeBron. And the media required no proof of it. We just ran with the story, pr printed yeah. it as fact. The fact that he says, oh yeah, I had to remove it before the police could come and investigate, blah, blah, blah. And we just ran with it and, and took it verbatim. And so here's Russell Westbrook and his wife, hey, I'm getting death wishes. Well, where? Are they, you got phone calls? Are they calling you at home? Are they calling your cell phone? Are they tweets online? Give me some proof. You just saying, hey, I'm a victim and people are treating me unfairly. We don't just have to accept that. I know we live in a time where it's believe all women. But damn it, these type of accusations can be easily proven. Show us the tweet. Show us the email. Show, show us, I don't know, the phone call, anything. And just like you said, and this is where it connects to LeBron, someone spray painting the N-word on your mansion out in Brentwood in that neighborhood. Trust, I, I, used to, I lived in Westwood. I could walk to LeBron's neighborhood. If you call the police in that zip code anywhere on a Wilshire Court or Beverly Hills, Westwood, Brentwood, you call, they're there quickly but you erase the evidence before they can investigate. And so here they are with the death. Oh, no reason to call the police. We're, we're, these death threats aren't so serious 
that we've called authorities because we're in fear. No, it's just a tool for Russell to go to a press conference and say, yo, quit criticizing me. My kids, they can't take it. They don't like coming to the games. Well, let me just say Steve, this. Steve, help me out here. Help me out before you, before, before you go, and I'm sorry, I hope you don't lose track of your point. Your mind is sharper than mine. I'm trying to think of what athlete has faced heckling, uh, uh, booing on a consistent basis who, who didn't fold like this. Because who, who th- this is kind of, I mean, I know Bill Buckner and, and uh, after that bots play in the World Series uh, took some heat, but I just I don't think I've seen an athlete who's playing poorly, who's folded like this. I, I, the one thing I was thinking about is like JaVel McGee was getting harassed by Shaquille O'Neal, and he handled it in a much more manly fashion than this. And again, I, I wasn't all the way on board with the way JaVel McGee handled it, but it, it, it's more manly than this. I would go back, and uh, the stock answer is any athlete that played in Philadelphia. But I remember reading, and I was a kid, when Michael Jack Schmidt, maybe the greatest third baseman ever, because when I think of great third baseman being a child of the 80s, it's him or George Brett. But Michael Jack Schmidt, I'm telling you, had a contentious relationship with the Phillies fans. For some reason, he hit 35, 40 home runs, drive in 110 runs. But he was a little bit too, I don't know, champagne in a beer city. And that always was a little bit of a rocky relationship. But you know what? He toughened up. He toughened up and said, you know what? I'm a ball player. I'm an all-time great. I'm going to continue to make all-star games. And he toughed it out. But And also, um, the words of Ronald Reagan always come to mind when I do a job, when I have to get something really, really accurate. It's just not me pontificating, verbalizing an opinion. He said, trust, but verify. In other words, measure twice, cut once. And just because someone says, oh my God, I got this, this, or that, then you have to say, okay, where is the proof? Because think about this, Jason, in the way social media works, if Westbrook or any of his family members got a threat you should be dead. You know, they can just easily go out there and just screenshot it and say, hey, folks, this is what I'm getting and expose that person. It's really that easy to do. And that's like the most minimal thing you can do before you actually go on with the authorities. But Russell Westbrook has always been this guy. And I want to go back to the point of David Silver, who has provided perhaps the worst leadership I've ever seen of any commissioner. Adam Silver. Adam Adam Silver, maybe outside of the other commissioners. I mean, this is a really bad era of commissioners from the guy Manfred, who looks like he's rooting for a strike or a a shutdown, obviously Roger Goodell. But this is what happens when a commissioner lets the tail wag the dog. Under the leadership of David Stern, I guarantee Russell Westbrook would have been told, come here, Um, we're going to give you two strikes, you ain't getting three. And right now, Russell Westbrook is on his 15th strike. But let's go all the way back just a little bit. Kevin Durant must be chuckling inside. He'll never say anything. He's too nice of a guy. But when when Russell and KD were at their best and they took Golden State to Game 7, they had him dead to rights in Game 5 and they blew that series, 
When KD said, okay, I'm out of here, I was stunned. I mean, literally, he went from a city that he owned to be may- maybe to sharing the spotlight and at certain times being the second or third option to these two great guards. But you know what? He knew something. He said, this is untenable. I can't take this guy. When a guy like Kevin Durant, who's a high-character individual and a great player, says, you know what? I'm out of here. Sometimes the things that you do speak louder than the things that you say. You know, I'm sitting here thinking about Kwame Brown Mm. and what he went through. And, and, you know, Michael Jordan basically stuck a brand on him as the biggest bust and, and, you know, for 20 years, and particularly while he was playing, heckled, ridiculed, laughing stock in the media. And he, did, he, he didn't put a stop to it or didn't address it until, you know, post-playing career here in the last year. And, and it was like, my understanding, and I've, you know, talked to Kwame, I'm friendly with Kwame, I like Kwame. It's like, it was like, hey man, when I was playing, didn't like it, but had to deal with it. It was, people had a right to an opinion about how I was playing, how I was performing, and no one wanted to hear the excuses about me and uh, Michael Jordan or any of that. But 10 years after I'm done playing, and, and I'm out of the league, I don't want to be your content anymore. And so I get that, and I defended that. But, but this here, you go to the Lakers, that's a championship organization. Every year it's championship or bust, basically. You play as poorly as you've been playing, and, and now, oh, because people are making fun of your shot and calling you West Brick, that's the bridge too far. I'm ready to fight everyone. It just doesn't fly with me. I'm embarrassed for the media that will uh, cape up for this guy and in any way defend it. And I just want to be fair to Stephen A. Smith this morning because I watched. He did criticize Westbrook on the court. But they sold this lie or this exaggeration or whatever it is about death wishes. If the woman was getting death threats, she would have said threats. She's saying death wishes because maybe there's one tweet where someone says, man, I hope uh, Russell chokes on a basketball or something like that. Who knows? Uh, But their life is not in any jeopardy. And oh, I'm sorry they can't go to the games because fans are yelling at at Russell because of his bad play. That's been players' families forever, forever. This, well, I, I'm embarrassed. I, I, I wish that other NBA players, other athletes had the balls to call out Russell Westbrook and say, that's a bad look. This looks weak. I, I'll be very interested to see yeah. uh, what is, – is the game on TNT? Is there a Tuesday night TNT? I'll be interested to see what Barkley and Shaq and these guys have to say about this. Yeah, and before I get out of here, I just want to say one thing. My sources tell me that Russell Westbrook, uh, he was very distraught. He tried to commit suicide by shooting himself in the head. He missed. <laughs> anyway, had to get that out there. Couldn't resist. Sorry. Sorry. I'm terrible. I sh- I'm probably going to get in trouble for laughing at that. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. The guy's laid more bricks. He could build another Great Wall of China. <laughs> Roll with it. Come on. We're fearless here. 
don't back down, Jay. Come on, laugh. That was I'm funny. not backing down. I'm not backing down. That's good. All right, I got to go. Uh, thank you. Uh, let me tell you about Patriot Mobile. If the truckers have taught us anything, it's that we are infinitely more powerful when we stick together. The same goes for supporting businesses that believe in this country and your right to live free. That's why I'm proud to partner with Patriot Mobile, America's only Christian conservative cell phone provider. They use the same towers as the major carriers, so you get the same great nationwide coverage. Patriot Mobile has plans to fit any budget, and their 100% U.S.-based team provides exceptional customer support. More importantly, Patriot Mobile shares your values and supports organizations fighting for religious freedom, constitutional rights, and the sanctity of life. Go to patriotmobile.com Jason or call 972-PATRIOT. Get free activation with the offer code Jason. Veterans and first responders save even more, so make the switch today. Support a company that loves America and shares your values. patriotmobile.com Jason or call 972-PATRIOT. All right, Michael Lombardi will talk some NFL next. All right, welcome back. Uh, time to talk a little NFL football uh, with Michael Lombardi, who also is one of the biggest Philadelphia 76ers fans uh, that I know. And so I know he's very excited. The Sixers uh, routed the Bulls last night and maybe look like the favorites in the East. Uh, so, Mike, before I ask you about football, uh, I want to ask how overconfident are you about the Joel Embiid, uh, James Harden pairing? Well, I mean, you've introduced me correctly as a diehard 76er fan. And with that comes a lot of scars, a lot of baggage, a lot of 3-1 uh, series leads that have dwindled away and lost. So uh, overly optimistic is never part of a, a true 76er fan vocabulary. So I'm cautiously optimistic. Uh, I'm concerned about their their level of bench play, their inability to rebound. But for the most part, I've been really tickled pink by what Harden has done so far for the team and made the other players better. All right, let, let's talk about your real area of expertise. You know virtually <laughs> nothing about basketball. Uh, <laughs> football. And listen, I think this Calvin Ridley one-year suspension is a no-brainer. Uh, I, I think... There's what you can prove, and I guess they can prove that he bet a few parlays, but there's also what you know. And, and I suspect what they know is more significant than what they can prove as it relates to Calvin Ridley and gambling. And so I have no problem with the one-year suspension. They have to protect the integrity of the league. Well, it's a little bit like anything that once you gamble, it doesn't matter if it's a dollar or uh, a million. I mean, it's gambling. And you've stepped over that threshold, which is what the NFL has guaranteed by allowing betting companies to get involved with the sport as the legalization of betting has come into play, that they will honor and keep the integrity of the sport. And so I think this is really about the integrity of the game. And once you enter and cross that line over to whether you play a dollar, five dollars, or you play in the NC2A college basketball pool, it's still considered gambling. And the NFL has to take a strong stance against the people that participate in that area. Mike, um, do you think the NFL made a mistake getting this in bed with the gambling companies? 
No, because I think, Jason, if you go back, I, this the latest book that I'm writing is about the, uh, the NFL. It's about the Hall of Fame and the influences that have made the Hall of Fame so great and the players, but also television. And when you look at the 1970s, when Monday Night Football debuted, uh, ABC really had no ratings. I mean, everybody was watching Gunsmoke. Everybody was watching I Love Lucy, Mayberry RFD. ABC paid $16 million for three years for the rights for Monday Night Football. But what happened was it was the perfect storm. Monday Night Football became the game where everybody could either get even or get ahead. And betting has always been underground, like poker rooms we saw in the movie The Rounders. Poker rooms were beneath the surface. Now they're above the surface, and it's all legitimized. So I think it's a good thing. But I also think that because the sport is such an easy sport to bet on, and it engulfs the better. And this is why uh, the NFL today became so popular, because Jimmy the Greek came on that show. They started talking about each game in a unique way that didn't violate the code of conduct by Pete Rozelle at the time. And they were able to to draw fans in completely with their interest in wanting to bet. People are going to bet on the games and the betting companies make it a lot easier. Mike, uh, because of the time we're taping this interview, a major bomb has just dropped in the NFL. Uh, the dominoes keep falling. Aaron Rodgers re-ups with the Green Bay Packers. The Denver Broncos trade for Russell Wilson. Uh, <laughs> Russell Wilson is leaving Seattle and headed to the Denver Broncos. Uh, I'm going to ask your reaction so I can think about my own reaction. I'm stunned and amazed that Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson would walk away from each other. Uh, your reaction? I didn't think it would happen. I thought it was a lot of noise and really nothing because I felt like who was going to play quarterback for Seattle? Pete's 70 years old. Pete had a meeting with Jody Allen, the, the, the owner of the team, took over for her brother, Paul Allen. And I didn't suspect that they would be able to make a move because now, look, they gave away two first round picks for Jamal Adams, which was a ridiculous trade to begin with. But that being said, their assets were very low. And I think maybe the ownership group, along with Pete, felt like the only chip they had to play to get assets back was Russell. Now, I don't know who's going to play quarterback for him. I don't know how that's going to work out. I don't know how they're going to compete in the NFC West, which is really hard to win without a legitimate quarterback to help them. Now, Russell didn't play well last year. We all know that, but neither did the Seattle team. They've been sacked way too many times. Russell's gotten hit way too many times during his last four or five years because of that line. So, you know, this shocked me, Jason, tremendously because I felt like the, he was the piece to build around, not the piece to use to allow them to build. So let's look at the other side of this. Denver wanted Aaron Rodgers, couldn't get him. Denver lands Russell Wilson. Is Denver a win right now? Are they ready to win? Are they a Super Bowl contender? They're in the same division as Justin Herbert, Patrick Mahomes, and Derek Carr. They needed a quarterback, but, I mean, that's a blockbuster trade. Does Russell Wilson make them a Super Bowl contender? 
Well, they, they, you have to believe they did this. I mean, when you make trades out of desperation, which I think Denver did, they were desperate to get a quarterback. They know there's not one in this draft. And there wasn't one in free agency that they could really believe could turn their franchise around without knowing the details. And it sounds like they gave a lot up. I, it sounds like this is a bigger trade than when Green Bay traded to the Los Angeles Rams for John Hadle in 1974, which was the Lawrence Welk trade, a one, a two, and a three. This sounds... A, deeper trade than that. And I think ultimately what they gave up is going to come out to see where they are. And they put their chips in the middle of the table, clearly with a 33-year-old quarterback who didn't play well last year, who's had been hit too much, but has had a history of playing great. And they've got a good team around them. Make no mistake, they have a very good young team around them. They had cap room going into the offseason. They can be a contender if he plays to the level that he once did. So the last time the Broncos acquired a high-level franchise-type quarterback, they won a Super Bowl with Peyton Manning. Uh, John Elway has struck out a few times trying to draft a, a, a quarterback, and they struck out again here, I guess, with Drew Locke. Uh, how much – John Elway, greatest player in Broncos history, in my mind, one of the one or two greatest players in NFL history – uh, he's obviously won us two Super Bowls as a player, won one as an executive with Peyton Manning. But is there real pressure on John Elway if this Russell Wilson thing doesn't produce real fruit over the next two or three years? Could John Elway be pushed out of the franchise if this doesn't work out? Well, he is, he's kind of removed himself from the, from the battlefield. I mean, he's now back at the base barracks, kind of overseeing everything, not as intimately involved. George Payton has had the authority to do the hiring. He hired Nathaniel Hackett. George Payton made this trade. And John has kind of been part more of the potential ownership group, if you will, or some form. But I think this is all on George Payton. George Payton came in. He picked Nathaniel Hackett to be his head coach. And then he went out and gave away these assets to get Russell Wilson. So I think John's in the perfect seat in the house. He's going to be part of the franchise. He's still with involved with the franchise. But I don't think the blood, if this thing falls apart, is going to be on his hands. The let Flipping back to Seattle, just one more question on Pete Carroll. He's 70 years, 70 years old or somewhere around there. Uh, he looks 50. Maybe he wants to coach until he's 80. I can't remember how long Marv Levy coached, and maybe he has that much time left, and that's why they're willing to rebuild around Pete Carroll rather than rebuild around uh, Russell Wilson. But what do you think happens to Pete Carroll over the next two to three years? Well, I think we learned, if one thing we know about the National Football League, that without a great quarterback, it's hard to win games. Mike Tomlin's been able to do it two years in a row now, knowing that Big Ben, and say what you will about Big Ben, the last two years, Ben haven't been very good. Give Mike Tomlin credit. I mean, he's a half a game behind the Bengals in the standings this year uh, with a quarterback that couldn't throw the ball or couldn't play. So we know great coaches have had an ability to overcome some deficiencies at quarterback. Can they win a Super Bowl without it? Probably not. You know, Belichick went seven and nine with Cam Newton two years ago. Last year makes the playoffs with Mac Jones, an improvement at quarterback. I think it's going to be a challenge for Pete. 
It's going to be a real challenge. It's going to be a challenge for Shane Waldron, the offensive coordinator, and their offense to get going because, you know, the players are used to playing with a good quarterback. What happens to D.K. Metcalf? He's going to want the football. Taylor Lockett, those guys are used to having somebody under center that can really deliver the goods. I think it's going to be a challenge for the next two years, and hopefully ownership is behind Pete as he rebuilds his team. Aaron Rodgers returning to Green Bay on what was supposed to be, believed to be a quarterback market altering uh, contract uh, with the Green Bay Packers. Did Aaron Rodgers make the right decision for Aaron Rodgers and was it the right decision for Green Bay? Well, I think Green Bay had no decision. I mean, they had to go all in. I mean, they've lost two playoff games at home in the last two years for other reasons than the quarterback. And I think they know their window is very small. I think this is a commentary on Jordan Love as much as anything. They wasted a first-round pick. Is he going to be good enough? We don't know. But right now, Green Bay is telling us in the next two years he won't be. And they need to close this window. They need to win. They've won two Super Bowls with Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers. That's not enough. That's just not enough. So I think they saw this as their window of opportunity. They controlled Rodgers' ability to move around. They were not going to trade him unless he, you know, until next year when his contract expired. They had that right. So I think they decided to do the right thing, pay the man. Uh, and nothing says I'm sorry better than money, which they did. They gave him that. And I think they're going to be uh, they're going to be all in to try to win it this year. I mean, LaFleur's been 13 and three, two years in a row. Many people think he should be coach of the year. Not me, particularly, because I mean, how can you be coach of the year when your special teams are 32nd in the league and you can't and they never improve during the whole year? But their window with Aaron Rodgers is now. And I think they see it as well. Uh, putting a wrapping a bow on all this quarterback talk last week, you had some real strong things to say about Kyler Murray, the letter, the ransom letter, as you called it, that his agent, Eric Burkhardt put out. And, and I, I guess, and I'm asking you to do this on the fly because it just crossed my mind. Uh, hell, maybe Seattle's a destination for Kyler Murray. If, if things continue to sour between Murray and, and the Arizona Cardinals organization. But first, what did you think of the letter? Do you think there will be peace and a reconciliation between Murray and the Arizona Cardinals? Well, I labeled it a ransom letter because that's what it is. As I said earlier, nothing says I'm sorry better than money. And so that letter was all about pay me. Pay me now. I want my money. Uh, you know, everything that we're going to hear from the end of the season until training camp is really all about money. It's disguised as something different. He's unhappy. You know, let's let's leave social media. Let's play that sixth grades game where we'll we'll both stop following each other. And but it all comes down to money. I mean, this was a ransom letter. It was pure and simple. The agent had to protect his client. The agent was convincing his client he was going to do whatever in his power to get him more money because that's what he wants. And he felt like he could control the narrative in the, in the mainstream media by his play on the field, which I don't think he looked very kindly at. I think if you saw this player play at the end of the year, you know, he won one game, lost five games, didn't really make a difference to their team. And his body language. I mean, Draymond Green talked about this with Steve Kerr. When he went over to Steve Kerr and said, Steve, every time we turn the ball over, if you're going to act and behave like that, you hurt our team. Well, Murray, watch him play quarterback. Watch his behavior after a receiver doesn't catch a ball. Or when he throws the ball out of bounds, it's never his fault. 
And so I, I think ultimately his body language all through the year wasn't good. Now, here's what I will say about Murray more than anything is in the last two seasons, Cliff Kingsbury's taken a tremendous heat for not being able to finish the season. But Murray, when he has gotten hurt, hasn't been able to play well the last two years. It's just fact. He starts fast. He's a little guy. Little guys get hurt. Buddy Ryan has the best saying of all. There's a place in football for the little man. It's just not in front of the big man. And unfortunately, when Murray gets injured, it affects his overall play like it did last year. So for me, if I were Steve Kine, the general manager, I wouldn't even blink. I would look at this. He's got two more years. We'll see where we go. But I'm not giving him over $45 million a year when I know he can't stay healthy and I know he really can't lead the team in the effective manner that I need him to. Uh, Mike, very fearless, on fire today. My God, uh, I think you're so emboldened by your Philadelphia 76ers, you just don't give a rip right now. Uh, great think, job, as always. Thank you, Jason. I think the truth, I think you just have to say what you think. I mean, that's, there, there's really, the, the, tape doesn't, the tape doesn't lie. Watch the tape. Mm, uh, good stuff, Mike. Uh, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Mike Lombardi, one of the smartest men talking about the NFL uh, today. Fantastic job. All right, go to youtube.com slash Jason Whitlock. Hit the subscribe, the notifications. Uh, we're going to turn to the uh, smartest man on the show, Delano Squires. Burks. It's my obligation to hate discrimination, raising up your hands for freedom. All right, welcome back. Uh, we're going to take a little break from sports uh, and talk with uh, Delano Squires, Professor Delano, as we love to call him here on the show. Delano has written a very controversial <laughs> column, perhaps his most controversial, uh, Toxic Mommy Syndrome. Uh, D, I I'm going to let you, uh, it's not that I disagree with what you wrote, but I I'm going <laughs> to let you. Uh, explain this all on your own. I'm, I'm just going to stand back and let you take this heat. Uh, so tell us what you wrote about today. Sure. I mean, Jason, you know that we, we talk about men and, and fatherhood and family and marriage all the time on the show. Um, and, and I stand by all, everything that I say around the responsibilities that men have towards, you know, the mothers of their children, their wives and their children themselves. Well, one of the things that has become you know, increasingly apparent to me over the last couple of years is that, uh, and I say this in, in, a, in a column, in some respects, there are certain types of mother presence that are just as bad as father absence. And there really were two videos last week that went viral that sort of um, brought this point home to me. One was of a, a woman, you know, bringing a plate of food to her, her toddler. The kid is excited and sort of jumping around. And you could read that it says, um, she had some some alphabet shaped fries, and and you know the the plate said you piss me off, and it was a short video. You, you don't see much of the reaction after that. I mean, you actually see the little girl excited to get the food, and um, to to me, what that really that that was a perfect encapsulation of of sort of the maternal grievance industry in which children become objects of scorn and contempt from their mothers. Um, and then there was a second video where, you know, there was a little boy who, for some reason, was in a, a room that had a pole in it. I don't think he was at a firehouse or anything. And he starts to 
swing around the pole, right, with his legs up in the air in a move that most people would consider a stripper move. And again, you, you see the replies. Some of the people, a lot of people were saying, like, this is concerning. Why, why is this little boy doing this? But then one of the other questions that it made me ask is, why is this on the Internet, right? It's one thing if you have certain private videos. Um, I, I'm going to tell on myself a little bit. My, my mom has pictures of me from when I was a toddler. And one of them is me sitting on a, a table. Um, it's like a glass table. And I have on her hat and some of her jewelry. And, you know, I think I might have put on her shoes or something like that, right? Now, she didn't put this on the internet and said, look, my kid is the next J. Edgar Hoover, or he's the next uh, Billy Porter. They're just things that stayed in my family. This is one of the family books. People look at it, they have a good laugh at it, and then that's it. But b- both of these videos to me represent um, a form of, as I, as I call it, toxic mommy syndrome, in which kids either become the objects of contempt for some mothers or the sources of content for other mothers. Uh, and you see this playing out both in traditional media um, as well as social media. And I thought it was something that was worth talking about. It's definitely worth talking about. And because what, what you're talking about from my generation, we, we used to have family photo albums. And so when family would come over, every year, Thanksgiving or Christmas or whatever, we'd whip out the family photo album and reminisce about funny things, blah, blah, blah. But now we have public photo albums or, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's content. It's how we can drive interest in ourselves and our personal brands that we're all trying to build. And I I go back and I've said it multiple times. I'm going to say it again. John Thompson, uh, the great Georgetown coach said, look, man, have a private life, a public life and a personal life. Mm. And, and now everybody just has a public life. They've all been melded into one, and it, it is dangerous. Uh, I, 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 you know, there were a couple aspects of things that where I thought you might go in this column that, that you didn't go, but when you talk about toxic mommy syndrome, the, the other issue that I think we've talked about previously on this show is that I've seen a lot of mothers, particularly single ones, turn their sons Mm -hmm. into their husbands and their daughters into their best friends. And I don't think either role is proper. I I agree, and and I, I, I get to that towards the end where I talked about the intergenerational effects of this, right, where um, in, in the same way, again, if, if dads are not doing their job, then there's a certain impact that that has both on sons in terms of being able to model what uh, being a man looks like, and then also for daughters in terms of what be, you know, what a good man uh, should bring to the table and what expectations women should have from the men in their lives. The same dynamic, um, you know, occurs when it comes to, to, to mothers. So there's a certain you know, there's certain oftentimes wisdom um, that is not being passed from one generation to the to the next as it relates from mothers to their daughters. And then I, I touch on something particularly for mothers and their sons. Now, this is not necessarily, you know, restricted to single mothers, but I've seen it most most often when it when it comes to single mothers where 
um, at times the sons can become, the, the sons end up paying for the sins of the father. And sometimes mothers will verbalize this. They'll say, you know, either you, you look like your dad, you're not going to be ish, or you're not going to amount to nothing like your dad. Um, some at times, particularly when boys are younger, the, 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 the mom will sort of project the types of, um, uh, or, or look for the types of emotional support from, from a son that they should be looking for from, from a mate. And, and for me, it was important to talk about this because particularly uh, when, when the relationships go sour, right? And, and I've seen this in real life. When you have women who berate and emasculate their sons, it, it plants some seeds of confusion in the boy. Because generally speaking, children, boys and girls, look to their mother as a source of comfort and love and nurturing. But when a boy gets um, berated, when he gets anger and scorn and yelled at and emasculated and put down from his mother, what often ends up happening is he begins to build a hatred for women, even while being sexually attracted to them later on in life. And that type of thing obviously has its own, you know, uh, chaos and destruction and own negative sort of byproduct that comes with that. Um, and I've seen that, and, and, and we've talked about this before on the show, where when, when that natural order that God has put in place related to men and women is broken, and one person, and it's typically just given the nature of, of how things work, it's typically the woman who tries to play the man's role. It, it never seems natural, right? You can always, you can, there's, there's a certain way in which men can be um, firm with their sons while still being playful and loving. But then sometimes when a single mom feels like, well, I gotta, I gotta he doesn't have a father, so I gotta, I gotta show him what it's like to, you know, be disciplined and that, it, it, it always comes off as if it's, it's not right. So it's, it's, I think part of it is, you know, it puts women in a position where they're going against their natural tendencies and inclinations and sons pick up on that. And, and my general advice to any woman is that if you find a man who has a terrible relationship with his mother, if you find a guy who hates his mother, it's gonna be hard for you to be in a relationship with him because when that first relationship with the first woman he's ever known, the woman who carried him, who, who nursed him and nurtured him and kissed his boo-boos and did all this other stuff, if that thing is broken, it's gonna be hard for him to, to find um, wholeness and wellness in a relationship with you. But I, I, I agree with you, it, th this can go in a lot of different directions. One of the things that I wanted to, to, to do is, and I mentioned this briefly in, in the piece, particularly given these two videos, is to show that this spans ethnic, racial, and class lines. Because you can read Vogue magazine or The Atlantic if you wanna get sort of the suburban white wine mom take about why divorcing her husband and abandoning her family made her a better person, made her more liberated, or you can peruse the pages of World Star Hip Hop if you wanna see you know, certain black moms having their sons twerking and tooting their butts up in the air and thinking like, oh, this is cool, you know, this is cute. But it's, it's, it's bad fruit from the same tree. It just looks different depending on, you know, what sources you're going to. Delano, I, I think I would summarize it this way. If the relationship of a son to the mother is improper in any way, 
that's going to manifest itself in, its, in his relationship with women later on in life. Uh, and so I, I suggest everybody uh, read Delano's column. It's fascinating. Delano, so much has gone on in the sports world today. I got I to gotta cut you short. Uh, it's all good. But appreciate it. Great column. Uh, thank you thank so you, much. Uh, get your Fearless Army swag at shopblazemedia.com backslash fearless. Uh, I don't want to oversell this, but Jimmy and Shamika have cooked up a question and a conversation that should be fantastic. Uh, as good as all this other stuff from Westbrook to Russell Wilson getting traded, uh, this conversation that uh, Jimmy and Shamika have cooked up, you don't want to miss. Next. Does this scene look familiar? Has a white man touched you on your elbow? Were you accosted by white men in MAGA hats? Perhaps the police have hauled you into court just for making a special cocktail for that special lady friend. Maybe you're the black Ted Nugent with a hankering for jailbait. Then you need the National Alliance of Hi, I'm Al Sharpton, founder of NAN, the organization that stands up for and defends Many of you saw the press conference that we organized for Juwan Howard after he was attacked by the Wisconsin Badgers. If Coach Guard would have never touched Juwan Howard, we wouldn't be standing here right now. Don't get mad at him for uh, his natural reacts. Get mad at the white man for touching him in the first place. But our defense for Juwan Howard was just a small example of the work that we've been doing and defending everywhere. A black man had a noose around his neck. He was attacked in a sauna by white men from Somalia, nonetheless. All of them wearing MAGA hats. Damn shame. And you know why? Huh? It's cause he's a mulatto. Uh-huh, uh-huh. NAN will set up a press conference tailor-made to the pacific circumstance of the race crime committed against you. Now, only a gold-digging harlot would have entered Bill Cosby's hotel room and consumed alcoholic beverages. We stand here today to say that as black men, silence is consent. Men, it's your body and it's your choice. We at the NAN will make sure that you are defended against white aggression no matter your proclivities or the race of the victim. The white lawyers, now they railroaded Brother R. Kelly. Huh? Now look at we all remember Brother Kelly telling us that he saw nothing wrong with a little bump and grind. You understand what I'm saying? He said he liked feeling on your booty. See, he said your body was calling and that reminded him of his Jeep. He wanted to ride you. Don't let white aggression cost you your job or your freedom to pee on who you want to. This is America, damn it. But wait, there's more. 
but we can also help you with your capital case. Listen to me, brothers. Even Stevie Wonder can clearly see that Nicole was the instigator in the attacks at Rockingham Palace. Fact that an upstanding, fine white man like Mr. Orenthal James Simpson, if he can be nigrified, if he can be prosecuted, if he can be prostituted for a simple case of self-defense, I'm here to tell you, my brothers, it's a travesty. Now, to arrange your very own press conference and beat back racist allegations against you, you need to go to the National Alliance of com right now. Or call us at 1-888-MY-CALL NOW! CALL NOW, <laughs> My n All right, welcome back. Uh, time to bring in some Shamoke. Uh, the Shamoke Show, Shamika Michelle. Uh, she's got another question for Uncle Jimmy. And uh, from what I, now I've been told, this question is amazing and that I'm gonna love it. I sold it as that. Uh, Shamika looks amazing as always. First of all, it's uh, coming out of Shamika's mouth. <laughs> so how can it not be lovely? Uh, so Shamika, what, what's popping? What's going on? So for today's question, we have a young man who put out a video where there's a part of a video where he's just talking about he heard this woman say she had her career, now she had her money, now all she needed was a man. And his reaction to that, which sparked a response, a tweet from Jamel Hill, who was upset saying that, you know, black men have all of these platforms to belittle black women, but that's not the same the other way around. So I don't know if we're gonna show the video. We can show that and then I can ask Uncle Jimmy this fire question. Literally, she says, I got a good job. I make very, very good money. And she says, the only thing I need now is a man. <laughs> It's like, yo, like, <laughs> it's like, who wants you? Who wants you? you you're right. right. Like, once you have achieved these things, you have unfortunately disqualified yourself. Ooh, and, and, shit. And what it is, is these, because I, and this is the thing, I'm not blaming Ooh, the, the women. The women are going to hate him for that shit. Like, no, <laughs> no, see, the they are going to hate him for that. They, they I can't wait me. to put this shit. Mm, uh, I, I'm not sure what your question is, but... I'm not sure if I like the frame. Once she has all those things, no one wants you. That was a pretty interesting statement. But anyway, Shamika, yeah. uh, mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> Shamika, what's your question? So my question to Uncle Jimmy is, is Jamel Hill right? Are black men turning away from black women or turning against black women unfairly? Um. I would like to use this phrase. First of all, I'm a very big fan of Jamel here. I've referred to her as pretty brown eyes. I'm just gonna let that be known. But I would just like to say in this You're case- the, you, you know, I've been looking, I've heard about you. I heard there was somebody. Well, I liked her back in the day. I liked her then. Gotcha. Mm, I don't know now. Right. But I'm just saying, let me just say, and I, I wanna just clear that, clarify that. Let me just say that Jamel Hale is wrong as hell. 
You see what I did? Jamel Hale is wrong as hell. Yeah. You know, honestly. Um, to sit up here and say that black are black men turning against black women, hell no. Black women been turning their back on black men for 50 years. And I know this for a fact because my mama left my daddy when I was 50, when I was 10. I'm about to turn 60, so that's about 50 years. You know, black women been doing this forever of just turning up, going off, leaving me. And then now we have people that are bringing it to light. You got a uh, uh, Kevin Samuels. You got a uh, Tommy Sotomayor. And if I may just add another name, you got Jason Whitlock. I mean, because you put you, me in the same category as Tommy Sotomayor and Kevin Samuels. If I may, do you not set up here in serious business? Do you not preach that we are we, we need to step up and stand up against the matriarchy? We need to step up and start being men and stop this stupidness that we've been doing because women have been pushing us away. We need to take our place back. That is accurate. That's how I feel about it right there. No, man. Mm. Uh, Shamika, what, what, what's your take? So I don't think that it's unfair and I can't talk about black women without bringing up feminism, which was led by mm. what we would now call liberal white women. And like anything, I feel like black women jumped on the bandwagon and just did it extra. Like we went hard on it. You know, we went from saying we wanted to be treated like humans to then wanting to be treated like equal to then I am you. I'm better than you. I don't need you. And so I think what happened was and why we're seeing a shift now is because, you know, naturally men still want feminine women. So now that you have a group of women that, you know, want to wear the pants and be in charge, that hasn't changed that men want women who are feminine. So you have to then turn away from whoever is not lining up with that. And see, granddaddy didn't have to say, all of these things because grandmama knew her role. Grandmama didn't have a, a problem with having a meal and not sitting him in front of a hungry man plate. So now you have black men speaking up and black women are not used to the criticism or not used to hearing it. But it's not because black men are just angry and turning away. It's because now they have to say, they have two choices, either say, throw the dirt over me, I'm already dead, or say, not on my watch. And I think you have a lot of black men speaking up now and saying, not on my watch. I'm not getting ready to be your bitch, period. Mm. Mm. I, I, I'm going to, uh, and both of y'all's answers were interesting and provocative and, and justifiable, but I, I, I want to maybe go a different level and, and say that I can't say whether I agree or disagree with Jamel. I, 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 unfairly, I can't say uh, if it's fair or unfair, but what I can say is I think that black men and women have been turning against each other for a long time. Okay. And uh, I think it's it's captured in a little bit of Shamika's answer of we're outside our roles, both of us, because our roles are to be in obedience to God's will. 
And I would say both of us have walked away from, black men have walked away from the church. The church is dominated by the black church or whatever, you know, I hate to even put that skin color on, but black churches, predominantly black churches are run by women and they're very matriarchal. They may have a male minister installed, but the whole victimization and weakness and all that stuff is found in our church. And it's, it's, it, the church doesn't appeal to black men. Mm-hmm. And, and so I'm not even making an excuse because we've allowed that to happen as men. But w- when you walk away from God, there can only be chaos and disorder. And so I, I think both groups, the women have taken over control of the church and they're steering the church away from the truth that's taught in the gospel and they think none of those things apply to them. Hey, that's great that God said it, but I got a different way I want to operate. And so I think both sides are out of order and then I'm going to just be transparent and and a bit vulnerable here and just keep it real. When black men, and I think what Jamel is, is saying is, that black men are exploring their options, that they have a lot more options than when grandmama and granddaddy was doing it because when grandmama and granddaddy was doing it, 98, 99% of black people that were married, probably 99.5% of black people were married, were married to other black people. Now this latest generation is like, they got a whole buffet table open to them. Asian, white, Italian, whatever. Uh, Latino, uh, the imports from outside of America, from the Dominican, from Jamaica, whatever. And so I can say, because I'm such a patriarch, to the point of perhaps I could be Somewhat, I don't believe it, but if someone accused me of being sexist, I would have to say, I see why you think that. I disagree, but I see why you think that. I would have to say that. And so my mindset is so patriarchal that any hint of the matriarchy, any hint of this liberal secular worldview, complete turnoff to me. I don't. It's, it's, I just run. I, I run. It's like, oh, the devil's trying to get me. How fast can I run? And so when you look at black women and their unbridled passion for Democrat and liberal politics and a matriarchal worldview, they're the leaders now that they got this. I I had a, a woman, I mean, a good friend of mine who I really respect tell me uh, now we got this, you know, uh, as black women, that we got this and, you know, it's our time and, you know, we're, go- and, and love, respect this woman would never be in a relationship with her. Would, would, it would never cross my mind that she would think that they got this and don't need me. And so uh, for me, again, when you have my mindset, there's a high percentage of black women that just aren't on the table. They're just not, 
I, 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 and, and Jim, you know as well as anybody that may catch this show, and, and you, you know how I get down. And it, it's lit. I, I've, I, I've, I've, I've read the Twitter feed. Let's just, let's just say I've You've read You've met them, is what I'm saying. Yes, yes, Lord. And it's, it's going to be my way. And there is no other highway. And again, I love to say I'm a benevolent dictator. Right. So, you know, I, I'm, if I'm treating you poorly, complain about my dictatorship. But if I'm treating you well, don't complain that I'm a dictator just so you'll feel equal. Cause right. It's, it's, it's just not going to be that. I'm going to lead. And, and so any, that's a long-winded answer, uh, but I, I will go around a second time. I'll let Shamika react first, then Jim. Yeah, I think you're right, Jason. And I think we have to point out, or I feel like I need to point out that I don't think black men feel this way when, you know, about having a buffet of women because they don't find black women attractive or desirable. I think they still do. However, as you were saying, you have a lot of black women who have bought into the idea of, I don't need a man. So if you don't need me as a man, I will go somewhere else. And I have these other women who don't feel like that. You never really hear an Asian woman saying, I don't need a man. We don't even really hear a Hispanic or white women saying, I don't need a man. That's not in their culture. In every culture, except for a black culture, they seem to really revere men. And so when you even look back at wedding vows, that's why the man is given the charge to love and adore his woman. Women were given the charge to respect and obey. Men want to be respected. And if you can't do that, or if you're not willing to do that, they're going to go somewhere else. And if we go back to even biblical times, when we talk about Jezebel, and I, you know, I call uh, Jada Pinkett Smith, Jezebel Pinkett Smith, because uh, I think women, you know, that just want to be in charge are Jezebels. But one of the things that I have to remind men is that Jezebel could, there's not a Jezebel spirit without an Ahab spirit. So I truly believe that when you see it, you have to check it. You have to speak up. And if no one's willing to listen, then yes, you have to walk away because that's just what it is. And I applaud men for standing up. Women have been able to say what our standards were for years. No one gets upset when a woman says, I want a man with six figures, or I want a man that's six feet tall, or I want a man that's this, that, or the other. No one gets angry when women say that, but it's only when men have begun to speak about their standards and what they desire and what they want, have we begin to demonize them for having standards. Why can we say what we want, but men can't have that same option or opinion to say, this is what I desire. I think that's that's hypocritical and it's not fair. Look, I'm just going to just make it plain and simple, man. Uh, me, the way I was raised up, I'm, I'm old school. I believe in treating women like women. And I'm going to treat you like a woman. I'm going to open the door for you. I'm going to pull out the chair for you. I'm going to pay the bill for you. These are things that the way I was raised. I can't help the way somebody else was raised. I'm going to treat a woman like a woman. If you have a problem with that, of being treated like a woman, 
then we're going to have a problem with what we're trying to do. At the beginning of this, like you told I want hold for one, and I'm sorry for cutting you off, but I don't think any of those things that you said women would object to. Open a door, chair, pay the bill when it comes. I, I get The issue is, and I want to go back to Shamika said, I don't believe women, black women or any women, feel like I don't need a man. I think what breaks up black men and black women is the mindset from black women is I won't accept black male leadership. I don't respect it. I won't accept it. And I want to be careful uh, because this is a pervasive problem throughout black culture, man or woman. The lack of acceptance for black male leadership. We, they buck, we buck against it. And so, that, again, this connects to sports and we sit around, how come there ain't more black coaches? Trust me, they've done the profile. There's a profile on what leadership black men will accept. Mm-hmm. And it ain't black. Mm-hmm. And, and so, and, and again. Repeat I, that again, there, there's a, a what black There's men? a profile, again. The, the, it's like we were sitting around making decisions on emotions. And, and I don't want to generalize about white people, but like successful people, they are into studies and profiles and research and figuring out what works, what doesn't work, blah, 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 blah. We just gut feeling and all, because we've been, our whole culture has been so feminized. I mean, just completely feminine. It's what's in my gut. And so men think that way too. But but this rejection of black male leadership is from the woman and she's instilled it in the man as well. And Mm -hmm. and so, you know, just to be, I, I haven't had a work environment ever where getting people to fall in line, even as the leader, it's really hard to get black people, regard, male or female, to fall in line and get behind and trust my leadership. Mm-hmm. Nearly impossible. Uh, and so I, I look at, because of the culture we built, and, and mama, I apologize for saying this because you know I love you to death, but I, I'm the leader of my family. My mother, Buxley, she wants to be the leader. Her decision making is not good enough to be the leader over me, period, end of story. And I don't say that disrespectfully. She did an awesome job raising me and my brother. But, <laughs> you know, she, she carried the ball as far as she could. Now it's in me and my brother's hands. And, and she can have some thoughts and opinions, but not gonna be the leader. And so, uh, I just think that the, we love to say, black women say, I don't need a man. The reality is black people, women in particular say, I don't want black male leadership, period, end of story. There's no respect. That goes back to even when we watched the Jim Jones video and he wouldn't talk to the black manager. He wasn't good enough. Jim Jones, the rapper she's talking about, and we played a video uh, where he was in that Gucci store and, and said, hey, uh, send somebody white out here. I'm not bottom line. They send this little token black guy out here, blah, blah, blah. But 
And so, trust me, I saw the Jim Jones video, recognize it very well. It doesn't matter how much success I have, you know, I'm gonna get that kind of treatment from black people. Period. Bottom line, case closed. Now I think as a- Uh, Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say, I think that as a woman, you know, I do feel like our place is to start not being those women that don't want leadership, to be able to follow and to take the lead and to just stand with black men as they stand with us to to change that. Because what you are saying is absolutely true. And I think even black business owners would would follow up and say, I agree with that because I hear so many say that all the time. Now, I, I got to be, since you brought that up, I've seen some, because uh, that's what's always amazed me about Ollie Gates in Kansas City. You know how close I was with the Gates family right, and right. big barbecue baron in Kansas City. I got 10 stores around the Kansas City area, all virtually black employees. And he's over the, you know, he's owned this business 70, 80 years, or I, I, don't, I don't know how long but he's gotten his black employees to fall in line. Every store is run the same way, you get greeted the same way, but it took a lot of time and effort, a lot of success. Hats off to Ollie Gates, inspiration to me and others in Kansas City. Uh, But anyway, it's a struggle. You got a final thought, Jimmy? Yeah, I would say that women have been saying for years that uh, a man can't do nothing for me, but what? Shovel my snow and pay my what? My child support. And that's kind of you know where we at right now. Before <laughs> Thank we go, you, Shamika. Oh, go ahead. Before we go, oh. since I'm a woman, can y'all both just one more time tell me how beautiful I am? Well, I said it off the top. You look absolutely fabulous and remarkable. Uh, Thank you. But you know, I promise, uh, Jim. You, do you have you want to add? to What that? did you tell me at the beginning? What did you tell me when we went to L.A.? When I see a woman do that, what'd you tell me? You can never get in trouble for not talking to a woman. Okay, I'm talking to you. Let's go to the approval rate. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thank you, Shamika. Great job. Uh, wow, that, that, was, that was as good as uh, advertised and uh, projected. And whoever bet the over, I come in here every show uh, saying I'm going to do this show in an hour. And here we are an hour and a half later. Uh, so whoever bet the over today Corey. is the big winner. Corey uh, got the over. Uh, let's go with uh, Russell Westbrook is our uh, approval rating segment today. Uh, job performance. Uh, wow. I mm. really I went from a 15 all the way down to a three in job performance. I, I don't know how much of the first part of the show you call it, Jim, but I'm, I'm not real happy I, with uh, Russell Westbrook. A uh, three in job performance. I'm a little bit higher than you. I give him. You went up. I gave him he an went 18. from 11 to an 18. Because eight he's games, a- the eight games below 500. He's averaging 18 points a game. Job performance, 18 points a game. Come on, man. Don't judge me. Do, do you remember Herm Edwards? The, you know, you know what his play to win the game. The point is, you you don't play to score points. You play to win the game. Job performance, 18. Uh, By the way, excuse me, excuse me. Did or, or did I hear? Did, are we having the coach back on? The coach, yeah, the, the, the the NBA referee. Are we having him oh, back Ken on? Ken Maher, yeah. He's, okay. He's, Remember, 
Ken Meyer spoke up very highly. Trust me, I'm going to put his feet okay. to the All right, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Go ahead. should be landing here in Nashville again right. anytime. Uh, yeah. Uh, character, uh, I went down in character uh, from a six to a three. I- I'm just, I'm out. I gave him a zero. Okay. Remember, you talked about her. He cussed out the little boy, threatened a woman. Okay, the, uh, 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 you, you got all you got fans sitting outside courtside. You threatening women, threatening kids. But now you talking about how you want somebody else to treat your family courtside. That's very oxymoronish, ain't it? Uh, very much so. Come on, man. Uh, authenticity. Um, I dropped him from a twenty-two to a twenty today in authenticity. Um, I'm just I'm just not high on Russell Westbrook. Jason, I give him a zero, and I'm very serious. I give him a zero on You did listen to my opening mic. <laughs> Jason, the dude is from L.A. He's from the streets of L.A., and he brags about it, right? Yeah. Right? Matter of fact, when he was talking about, oh, oh, my mama, I'll F you up. I mean, he, he went, went there, right? If you aren't from, if you aren't from the streets of L.A., don't you, when we from the streets, man, don't we have something we do called play the dozens? Huh? Don't you crack jokes about anything goes? You know, I mean, so, so I'm saying sometimes, man, if you have boundaries where you couldn't talk about it, you'd be like, hey, man, you can say whatever you want to say, but don't talk about my mama and her peg leg. Right. There's boundaries. OK, he, he's from the streets. These little words that these people saying, man, they can't hurt him, man. West Brick. There you go. Come on, that's Ooh! too far. <laughs> oh, man, he might get a job at ESPN crying. <laughs> Come on. Uh, it factor. Dropped him big time there. I went from a 20 to a 2 uh, in it factor. He ain't got it. Hey, man, I'm going to give him a 10. Just a simple 10 because he's trying to have it both ways. All right? You can't cuss people out courtside and then don't want people to cuss your family out courtside. <laughs> it just don't work that way, man. <laughs> All right. We're in a – oh, my God. We both got the same score. 28, we're in agreement. Uh, dumpster fire. You think we'd be doing that on purpose, man. <laughs> That's <laughs> – now, we came to, we took two different routes to get to 28, uh, but Russell Westbrook is a dumpster fire, and uh, so am I. That was probably an hour and 38 minute show, or hour and 37 minutes. You know who's not a dumpster fire? Oh, tomorrow. Doggone right. Oh, she's not. Alright. Did I tell y'all I gained two pounds yesterday? And I'm looking at myself on camera, and I just don't see the two pounds. Can I? <laughs> I don't see the two Wait, pounds. Can I tell the people how you did this morning on the, on the meeting? What? I'm sorry I'm late. I don't know if I'm able to do the show. I just got off the scale. I gained two pounds. All the walking I did, all of the lint I gave up, <laughs> all of the fasting I did, I gained two pounds. I don't know how I did it. I don't, I, I'm, I'm baffled. It was very disconcerting, and it made it literally made. Me, if I'm gonna gain two pounds, let me tell you something. You should learn from that meeting. In my life. What? You should learn that John Hadley's a damn liar. Why? Because you heard Jason. I think that's muscle mass, big guy. <laughs> Hadley's a damn liar. <laughs> when he said that, I mean, and I love, I love John Hadley. But when he said that, I was like, you taking brown nose and weight. <laughs> hey, I got off the call. I'm like, I can't compete with that. <laughs> there is no shame to his game. Hey, big guy, I've been around NFL players. I, hey, I was I was with Refrigerated Perry. Jim, I can't believe I'm going to crack this joke, but he was almost like, hey, Jay, I'll toss your salad. <laughs>